You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are in the midst of a sermon series on letting God move us through difficult times. Last week, our focus was on persistent prayer, and today we want to talk about how to deal with our doubts. You know, every one of us has doubts. We have a tendency to second-guess ourselves. Should I have made that decision? Did I do the right thing? Should I return the stolen merchandise to the store? Those kinds of things. But there are many other kinds of doubts. When we doubt the future, we call it worry. When we doubt other people, we call it suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, we call it inferiority. When we doubt what we see and hear on Facebook, we call it intelligence. (laughs) And when we doubt everything, it's just skepticism or cynicism. Well, here's the big question for us. Do Christians ever doubt? Should a Christian have doubt? Well, let's see what Scripture has to say. We're going to go to the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, and it begins this way for us. Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. Remember those words from last week. Jesus was telling a parable about how to pray and not give up. Rather, Paul writes, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. In other words, we don't water it down. We don't take it out of context. We don't disregard it. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure means God's love through Jesus Christ. In jars of clay, well, that's us. So we have this treasure of God's love in Jesus Christ in us to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He goes on, we are hard-pressed on every side. That means we are under intense pressure, but not crushed, perplexed means we have some doubts, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that this life may also be revealed, his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying? You may have intense pressure. You may have doubts. But it's possible to have doubts and not be defeated by them. Well, today we want to do a couple of things. We want to look first at three causes of doubt and then three ways to deal with doubt. So what makes us doubt God? Critics. Critics make us doubt God. These are the ones who ridicule our beliefs. The Bible refers to them as scoffers. Many of us have maybe been in a classroom or workplace or just general conversation when our faith has been challenged and criticized. Critics can cause us to doubt as if our thinking were archaic. You don't really believe that, do you? If you're... A believer, you're a fool. But Psalm 14 reminds us that a fool says there is no God. It doesn't matter how many degrees a person may have after their name. If they don't believe in God, they are the fool. All you have to do is look at the overwhelming evidence in creation that it was made by a creator. To say that all creation just fell into place would be like to say, take a watch, take it completely apart, put it in a bag, shake it up, and out comes a Rolex complete and in perfect working order. Or what's worse, are those who claim that all of this, everything around us, including you and me, came into existence out of absolutely nothing. There are some supposedly pretty smart people who believe that nothing created something. Now, who's the fool? So critics cause us to doubt God. I've heard people say, I'll only accept that which I can understand and which I've experienced. Then you're going to doubt a lot because you're going to be unable to experience and accept a lot. You can't except that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon because how can you understand how all that could take place? And surely no one in this room has ever experienced it. Look, if God could be completely understood, in other words, if my little brain could understand God, then he's not a very big God. A second thing that causes us to doubt God is what I'll refer to as misguided focus, meaning... Just because I feel a certain way doesn't make it true. It's like this. If I go out and get a speeding ticket on 485 and I come back and I announce, I don't believe in state troopers. I don't believe in traffic court. I don't believe in judges. I don't believe in a 70 mile an hour speed limit. It changes nothing. It's still a fact. I got a ticket. Unbelief is not an excuse to justify your lifestyle. 
It is entirely possible to be inspired by something that is totally false. It is possible to be passionate about something that is way off base. In 1938, Adolf Hitler's rise in power was accelerated by the Nuremberg rallies. He, there at, at this large outdoor arena that could fill and did fill with 400,000 people, encircling it were 130 aircraft searchlights pointed straight up into the sky, 20,000 feet up in the sky to kind of give an illusion of pillars of ice. And here, 400,000 gathered. And there was such pageantry and fanfare. There were bands and banners. And just at the right moment, Adolf Hitler walks down the aisle through the crowd up to the platform, takes over the microphone and gives his famous speech, I am Germany. And people left there saying they were so inspired. And yet it was one of the most misguided events in all of human history. That's why the Bible warns us to no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here, there, by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. A misguided focus can pull out the ground of belief underneath you. And a third thing that makes us doubt God is circumstances. Actually, that's the number one reason people doubt God. It's when our prayers are unanswered or a tragedy strikes, or we're faced with an impossible situation. Let me give you an example from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee in a boat when a storm arises. He's there with his disciples, and as the storm hits, Jesus is asleep in that boat. And the disciples go to Jesus and wake him with this, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? That's a typical reaction when we're under pressure. We start doubting, God, don't you care? A recent Gallup poll indicates that 87% of all Americans believe in God. It's just the type of God they doubt. What's he like? Is he personal? Is he loving? Is he someone I can depend upon? Is he interested in me? Those are the kinds of doubts people have. So let us turn our attention toward what keeps those doubts from defeating us. We have doubts. How do we keep them from defeating us? Number one, admit them. Admit your doubts. Be honest. We all have them, but you can't overcome them unless you first recognize them. So many Christians I know are intimidated by their doubts, and so they start thinking, oh my, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe God will stop loving me because I have these doubts. Another example from the Gospels, this time from Matthew. One time, John the Baptist is in prison. Everything has gone wrong. He's at the lowest point in his ministry, and he sends some people to Jesus with the question, was I wrong? Did I make a mistake? Are you really the Messiah? John the Baptist had doubts. Jesus sent the people back to John to reassure him. He wasn't critical. 
He didn't, he didn't condemn John. And then Jesus turns to the crowd after he sends those folks back. Jesus turns to the crowd and said, John is the greatest man who's ever been born. Jesus says that right after John has just expressed doubts about who Jesus is. Now, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is when you honestly don't know what God's doing in a situation. Maybe you don't even know how to pray. Unbelief is when you don't have a clue and you don't care. You say, I'm going to choose my own way. Uh, yeah, I've heard what the Bible says. Maybe that's for you. You follow it. That's fine. I'm going to choose to believe differently. That's unbelief. But when you think about it, you know the strongest faith comes out of struggles with our doubts. It's King David in the psalm saying, God, I don't know what's going on. Why are you allowing this? Uh, or it's Job questioning, God, are you... Do you really love me? Are you sure you know what's going on? Are you sure you have the power to change my situation? Or Abraham not believing he's going to be a father at age 90, and yet he doesn't even give, you know, he doesn't have Isaac until he's 100. And his wife being told at an elderly age she's going to have her first child. We know that she didn't believe because if a 90-year-old woman was told she was pregnant, she wouldn't have laughed. She would have cried. We know she doubted. Do you ever have doubts? Congratulations, you're human. Welcome to the club. But we're talking about how to keep your doubts from defeating you. Number one was admit your doubts. Number two is trust in the Lord. That's Solomon's advice in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So let me ask, what do you listen to most? Do you listen to God's word or do you listen to your own feelings? I don't feel loved. I don't feel God in my life. I don't feel like he has a plan for me. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Do you listen to God's word or do you listen to your feelings? Do you listen to your circumstances or do you listen to the Bible? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And number three, and how to defeat your doubts, begin with the faith you already have. It may be just a little, but you begin with the faith you already have. Mark 9 contains a wonderful story of a father who comes to Jesus with his sick son. Jesus looks at the father and says, I can heal him if you'll believe. And then we get this classic statement from the dad who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Have you ever felt like that? Can you have both faith and doubt at the same time? Yeah. You can have faith that God wants you to do something, but be scared to death at the same time. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is you go ahead and do it in spite of your fear. You can have faith and doubt at the same time. This man was filled with faith and doubt, and in the midst of his honest doubt, he went to Jesus anyhow. And Jesus performed a miracle, and he healed his son. This story illustrates that no matter how weak or how frail you think your faith is, it's 
enough. It's enough to get you through. It really doesn't take much faith. When you think about it, everyone has faith. You have faith. You had faith this morning when you ate your Cheerios that your spouse didn't poison them. You have faith every time you get on the highway. That takes a lot of faith. You had faith that when you sat down, that pew didn't collapse. Everyone has faith. It's just a matter of what or whom you put that faith in. What this means is you don't have to have a lot of faith to be a great Christian. You just need a little faith. Let me give you a math equation here. A little faith plus a big God equals big results. It's not big faith that's required. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's what you put it in. You have a little faith, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you put it in a big God and you're going to get big results. There are a lot of people who don't want to make any commitments, attempt anything hard, start a ministry until they've cleared up all their doubts. That's not the way it works because then you wouldn't have to have any faith. But think of it this way. Every step closer to Jesus Christ is a step further away from doubt, discouragement, and despair. What are you doubting this morning? What is it that you're doubting about God Some of you are really struggling with this. Some of you are having a hard time and you're doubting God's love. If God loves me, why did he allow? You fill in the blank. Some of you are doubting God's care. If God really cared, he sees what's going on, right? Why didn't he do something? Some of you are doubting God's power. God, I'm going bankrupt. God, I have a terminal illness. God, my spouse is walking out. Some of you are doubting God's forgiveness. You know something you did was wrong and you've already confessed it and God has forgiven you, but you keep coming back over and over saying, God, I still feel guilty about that. Would you please forgive me? You've asked it and confessed it 1,500 times, but you keep coming back and God wants to say to you, shut up. (laughs) It's in the Greek of the text. He says, I've already forgiven you. You're doubting my forgiveness. We all have doubts. Admit them. Trust in the Lord. Begin with the faith that you already have. But that doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes, that you won't sin, that you won't disappoint yourself and others, that you're going to be perfect the rest of your life. You won't. But you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. You have to have your faith placed in Jesus Christ. And you can do that this morning. If you've never said, Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life. That starts right now. And what comes as a response is a promise from Scripture. Jesus says, I will come in. All you have to do is open your heart. Jesus says, I will come in. You know what turned every instance of a doubter in the New Testament to a believer? It was a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. That's it. 
That's all. And that's always good enough. Let me pray. Lord, knowing that right now there is much about our faith that we want to put on display and yet we, we still question a lot of things. We, we still wrestle with why things are happening in a time frame that's not ours. That's not unbelief. That's being human. And you know that full well. You know us full well. And so, Lord, this morning is about not letting those doubts defeat us, though. And that's what you've done on the cross. You've taken on everything that would seek to defeat us. And you've won the victory. And we thank you in Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.